Welcome to Auckland Conversations, ideas for becoming the world's most livable city. Welcome, welcome to the wonderful people, I won't name you by name. Um, also welcome to all the wonderful people that are joining us um, online. It's, it's wonderful to have you out there in the future. My name is Frith Walker and I'll be facilitating our conversation here this evening. Uh, it's a great delight to be here. It's a, it's a strange thing to be on the stage. I've spent many times in the audience enjoying these conversations, so it's wonderful to see you all here tonight. Oh, that's a good idea. Gary. Gary's the man at the back. <laughs> Auckland Conversations, as you know, provides us an opportunity to inspire and stimulate your thinking about the challenges facing our fine city. Tonight we're going to be joined by a panel of passionate experts who will raise the profile of the City Centre Master Plan and our great hope is that we will increase young people's understandings of the plan. So firstly, a few housekeeping rules if that's okay for those of us that are here IRL, which I believe is young people speak for, in real life. In the unlikely event of an emergency, an alarm will sound and an announcement will be made that guests should leave through the marked exits. Staff will evacuate us from the main entrance to meet at the assembly point, which is outside Wildfire Restaurant or below St. Alice or the Viaduct Car Park. So follow the instructions of your crew, ladies and gentlemen. Bathrooms are located at the back of the room next to the main entrance. And finally, could you please turn all your mobile phones to silent, but leave them on so that you can ask questions via Slido, which I've just learned about this evening and I will explain shortly. The format for tonight will be a presentation from the wonderful George Weeks, Principal Urban Designer for Auckland Council, followed by a panel discussion where you, the audience, will have the opportunity to ask questions, whether you're in the room or online from home. So hello out there again, people online. We'll be using Slido, which is an interactive question and answer tool for audience questions. If you have a smartphone, does anyone not have a smartphone these days? Pointy question. We'll encourage you to visit slido.com and enter the code hashtag, hashtag CCMP and ask your question. We're aiming to get through as many questions as we have time for, so you can submit your question anytime during the evening. Alternatively, we'll also have microphones and be asking for questions from the floor, so we'll have some wonderful people out there keeping an eye on you in real life people at the same time. Please remember that we'd love you to ask a question, not make a statement. Tonight is about having a friendly, open discussion about the City Centre and to raise awareness of the City Centre Master Plan. We want to get to as many voices as possible. We'd also really love it if you could share your name and age alongside your question. As you know, we're here to think about how young people are involved. So if you let us know who you are and maybe how old you are, uh, then we'll know who we're hearing from. I'm gonna start the bidding. I'm 47 whole years old. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. So you're welcome also to tweet any time during the event using the hashtag AKLConversations. We always try to ensure that Auckland Conversations events are inclusive and accessible. So on-demand viewing of the event, a full transcript and captioning of the event and presentations will be available on the Auckland Council's website on the next, in the next few days if you want to share it with your friends. So let's get into it. We're here tonight to consider the topic of vision for Auckland, designing with future generations in mind. Auckland City Centre plays a critical role in the success of both Auckland and New Zealand. It is the main location for business, tourism, educational, cultural and civic activities and is home to 37,000 people. I'm one of them, by the way. Uh, in fact, one moment, please call it. Does anybody live in the city centre alongside me? Thank you very much. Just acknowledging all the people that are actually a city centre resident. Thank you very much. 
Like all city centres, ours performs multiple functions and evolves over time as people's needs change. Since 2012, a visionary master plan has shaped the evolution of Auckland City Centre as it transforms and adapts to serve Aucklanders now and into the future. In March 2020, a refreshed City Centre Master Plan was adopted by Auckland Council's Planning Committee. Looking to the next 20 years, that City Centre Master Plan sets the strategic direction for the City Centre and Waterfront with a vision of a more livable, inclusive, green and people-friendly place, one that is uniquely Tāmaki Makaurau. Cities are most successful when they reflect the needs of everyone. Traditional approaches to urban planning have tended to favour people in positions of power. The City Centre Master Plan has sought to change this. This plan is the vision to ensure that the heart of our city remains a vibrant, bountiful place for everyone and sets that strategic direction for the city. This event is the first in a series of Auckland conversations being planned with the aim being to dig into that master plan and show how visionary the plan is but also hear voices on what it's doing for our city. Each event in this series will be focused on some of the big topics that the plan addresses like transport, climate change, connectedness, livability, affordability and inclusivity. As I said before, the purpose of tonight's event is to increase young people's understanding of the City Centre Master Plan and to look at the City Centre Master Plan from a young Aucklanders perspective. So there's a job for all of you that might be parents or have young people at home when you get home. If you have young people that maybe need to watch the video of this later on, we'd really appreciate that. This city is incredibly lucky to be supported by a group of amazing young people with our Youth Advisory Panel. We must be listening to those Aucklanders who are going to inherit the city that we are making. The Youth Advisory Panel is one of the many ways that councils listen to the youth voices on matters of importance to them. It is a panel consisting of nine youth across Tāmaki Makoto, aged from 16 to 24, who meet regularly to provide advice, feedback and input into councils' plans, budgets and decisions across a wide range of topics enabling the governing body to apply perspective and considerations that may not have been present at the table otherwise. In their words, the youth of today are the future of tomorrow. Actually, in Whitney Houston's words, I believe that children are our future. Sorry, back to the youth panel's words. Their thoughts and concerns are not only of the present, but include the future as well. Young people are the most motivated to challenge the status quo as well, to as, well as to change it. Their innate ability to learn and adapt rapidly to the environment give young people the edge in regards to voicing concerns, as well as, as well as fostering sound leadership to navigate through these challenges. This makes it absolutely critical that young are not only present, but are engaged during the decision-making process. Enabling youth participation ensures diverse perspectives and critical thinking on the key concerns facing the future generation. Thank you, Muralai Quis and Vicenina. This is exactly the reason we're all here tonight. So, let's get into the conversation. It is now my very great pleasure to introduce to the stage a person who is getting on with this mahi. George Weeks is the Principal Urban Designer for Auckland Council. He is responsible for the refreshed Auckland City Master Plan, which provides a design-led vision for New Zealand's largest city. He has also contributed to Auckland Council's prize-winning work to develop a business case for walking and has helped to shape Auckland Transport's roads and streets framework. Prior to Auckland Council, he worked in the UK as an urban designer at Transport for London and was a graduate fellow in sustainable urbanism at the Prince of Wales Foundation for Community Building. His work reflects a lifelong interest in the design of city streets and their impact on people's health and well-being. Welcome, George. Thank you, Frith. Um, Enamana. Enereo 
Good evening. Welcome, everybody. My name is George Weeks, and I'm an urban designer at Auckland Council. And as Friss has described, I was the lead author on the Auckland City Centre Master Plan Refresh, our 20-year vision for the heart of the city. And you can read it on your laptop computer or mobile device. I'm here to give a quick talk on the master plan from young people's perspectives. And this is very important because young people often have a very hard time being heard. They are told to shut up and be realistic. They'd rather do noble deeds than useful ones. And this statement is not from Mike Hosking. This is from Aristotle. <laughs> it, is, it is from two and a half thousand years ago. And similarly, we all know that young people are contemptible, ill-informed chatterboxes. And this quote is not from Harry Enfield. It's from Socrates. It's even older than Aristotle. In other words, dismissal of young people by older people is literally as old as civilization. This is an event about young Aucklanders. Um, I've still got most of my hair, but I'm not particularly young. Um, when I was born, David Longy was the new prime minister. Uh, the Cure were touring New Zealand. Billy T. James was filming, it came a hot Friday. Uh, Stig Blomquist won the New Zealand rally in an Audi Quattro. I mean, how 80s can you get? And atmospheric CO2 was about 340 ppm compared to well over 400 now. It all seems like a long time ago. And as you can tell, I'm not originally from New Zealand. Before coming to Auckland, I worked as an urban designer at Transport for London, mainly on best practice street and road design guides. Um, and as well as this, I also had a voluntary side hustle as a uh, pub quiz master. Um, back one slide. Um, there's a slight lag on the Maduhiki, yes. Um, but I had, a, I had a second voluntary side hustle, uh, this time by bicycle, uh, which was taking study tours to places in the UK and overseas that have accessible streets. And I mean, this is all about finding out how about different cities work and um, just really getting to understand yeah, what really can be done if you put your mind to what your streets can do. I must emphasize that my cycle study tours were nothing like this. Blech. Rubbish. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Um, uh, the, the, the real point about the best cities are the ones that make you smile. Which brings me to Auckland, which is a city that I love very much, and uh, where I've lived for the past four and a half years. Goodness gracious, here we go. And so I, I came here in 2017, I think this position works with the clicker, um, to help refresh the Auckland City Centre Master Plan, which alongside the waterfront plan, was written in 2012. And they're both very visionary documents, and they both have achieved a huge amount in the past 10, sorry, nine years. And some of you may be saying, well, is this the plan for the Auckland CBD? In which case, if you're asking that question, please put 10 bucks in the swear jar right now. <laughs> CBD is years out of date. Almost 40,000 people live here. It's the best connected square mile in New Zealand. It's the city centre. It's for everyone. And a master plan helps make it into a better place. I mean, think of things like the city centre shared spaces, like Lawn Street. I mean, only a few years ago, this was what we thought was normal. But now we realise there's much more to streets than how much free parking you can squeeze in. Um, Similarly, the, the City Centre Master Plan transformed the old uh, Nelson Street off-ramp into a rather cool new public space for the City Centre. 
and the city centre master plan showed how city rail link would shape urban development. Um, Albert Street looked like this in 2012 when a master plan was published, and Albert Street looks a bit like that <laughs> now. Pretty cool. And, but this confident vision for, for our biggest city, our biggest ever transport scheme, gave confidence to our biggest investors. I mean, uh, you, you, precinct properties would not have dropped a billion dollars of their investors' money into Commercial Bay if they weren't sure that it was going to pay off. Um, so in 2018, very exciting year, we saw New Zealand's first commercial space launch. What was also exciting was we saw the Auckland plan being published. And this set out statutory outcomes for the whole city for 2050. The statutory vision for the whole city comes from the Auckland plan. And this plus other factors meant that it was a good time to refresh the Auckland City Centre Master Plan, to make it consistent with the Auckland Plan, make it internally consistent with the Waterfront Plan, and really just reflect how the world had changed since 2012. To cut an extremely long story short, we refreshed and digitised the City Centre Master Plan between 2018 and 2020 with sustained and valuable input from Auckland Council, Auckland Transport, Panuku, Boffer Miskell, MR Cagney, Jazzmax, Tyrone O'Hare, Buzz Channel, and many, many others, many of whom are in this room, and I thank you all very much for your contributions and leadership in it. So what's in the City Centre Master Plan? I hear you cry. Um, this, I promise, is the only slide on which I will read word for word because it's important and also because the white text isn't showing up very well against the blue sky. The City Centre Master Plan is the key guiding document for the Auckland Council whānau setting the strategic direction for the City Centre over the next 20 years. And this strategic direction has been developed through a huge amount of analysis, engagement and political dialogue. If it's in the City Centre Master Plan, people have approved it at strategic and senior levels and by our elected city councillors at planning committee, at least one of whom is in this room. The Auckland City Centre Master Plan applies the Auckland Plan to the city centre through 10 outcomes to be delivered through eight transformational moves and access for everyone. What is access for everyone, I hear you cry? Well, access for everyone, we, we developed it as part of the City Centre Master Plan refresh to really work out how to transform Queen Street for pedestrians and public transport while also increasing access to the city centre. It's a traffic circulation model that uses mayoral drive and the motorway box for general traffic, freeing up more city centre streets for other uses and providing more public space. And it's very much Auckland's plan, but it's based on a design from Hoenigen in the Northern Netherlands, which was developed by this guy, Max van der Berg, when he was only 24, and he was the deputy mayor for transport. And Dutch cities in the 1970s were clogged with traffic. And faced with traffic-clogged streets and a lack of car parking, sound familiar, um, city traffic movement was reorganized around four low-traffic neighborhoods connected with a ring road. Traffic can go from one zone to another via the ring road, but you can walk or cycle anywhere within it. And here's how the same square looks now. Um, not only is it prettier without the Beatles, the city is prosperous because it attracts people, and it attracts business, and it generates wealth. I mean, here's how city centre streets look in Hunnigan today. I mean, imagine the fresh air, the sound of birdsong, chit-chat and laughter. This is somewhere that you simply want to be. And Access for Everyone allows us to do something similar for Auckland City Centre, and it is in the City Centre Master Plan. 
We also have eight transformational moves in the city centre master plan, setting out eight categories of place-based intervention in the city centre, coordinating existing works and making new proposals, all of which are to do with transport and accessibility, making a city that's easier to get to, easier to get around, nicer when you're there, and you can follow the link which is flashing in the corner in the corner of your eye, look it up for yourself, explore it. Um, and, all, and all of these lead to more opportunities, again, which are all listed in the City Centre Master Plan. You can look them up for yourself. And these include things such as our vision to transform the eastern edge of the city centre, the missing middle between uh, Parnell and the city, transforming it from a kind of a bit of a in-between space into a medium-rise, high-density urban neighbourhood, which could almost be as big as Wynyard Quarter, using the existing Waka Kutahi NZTA transport designation to build a motorway boulevard linking Tamaki Drive um, with the Grafton Gully motorway, making space for movement, but also supporting the necessary frontage development for an urban area, providing space to move, space to interact with the surrounding buildings, really a better functioning streets. Or how about the uh, master plan's reflection of Tamaki Makoto as the world's largest Maori city? Uh, working with the Manafenua Kaitiaki Forum to develop a vision for a, a Papa Kokiri, a, a flexible space um, located here on Queen's Wharf, just east of the ferry building, to allow Manafenua to offer many different functions and activities and share Tamaki Makoto Manafenua identity with the world, as we show you here. And a Fare Tapare a uh, highly flexible facility with studio and performance space, both internally and facing Otia Square, creating an edge to contain and activate the southern side of the square. And there are many, many more city centre master plan opportunities. Take a look at the website, go home, look it all up and see. And if you've got ideas that fit within these principles, we do not have the monopoly on good ideas, develop them. Tell them, let us know, work out how you can contribute to the vision. I mean, it's very much uh, what can you bring to the city. Um, and also look at the 3D maps for each city centre precinct. These are on the master plan as well. You can go there, see the different buildings proposed, the different spaces involved. Go ahead, take a look, get to know it, figure it out, work out how you can be part of the journey. Um, so... I want to finish by touching briefly on the city centre master plan, um, really about the consultation and engagement, um, which took place between 2019 and 2020. And this included, as Frith mentioned, targeted engagement with many, many organisations, including the Youth Advisory Panel, and also a wider public engagement taking place between October and, sorry, September, October 2019. So among all the respondents, we had more than 500, uh, more than 3,000 individual comments. I read every single one, I promise, um, of whom more than three quarters supported the overall vision and more than four-fifths supported the idea of access for everyone. And among young people, and for this purpose, I'm saying young as 24 or younger, there was a slightly higher level of support, particularly for um, access for everyone, but also really for the idea of transit oriented development. Um, one person specifically said they wanted to see supermarkets near railway stations, which I think, which I think is a fine idea. Um, I mean, it, here is a, just a random sample of some of the comments that young people provided. People wanted to see um, dedicated reference to Auckland's diversity and openness, 
um, better architecture, fewer ugly buildings, build more greenways, public transport, public transport, public transport, public transport. That was all the same comment. Somebody, somebody had a very fixed idea. Um, please work closely with Auckland Transport to make sure your strategic outcomes align. Um, every other country seems to understand that you put supermarkets by the transit stops. Um, the plan refresh is active on the front of climate change, a key issue of our time, also seeks to bring and uplift the human perspective of the streets of Auckland. I like that one a lot. So these are the kinds of things people were saying. I think consistent amongst young people and the respondents as a whole, the most common phrase we got was, in terms of support, was people liking the direction towards greater pedestrian friendliness. And a second theme that I really got from reading the comments was one that uh, Monty Python's God might have approved, which was, get on with it. Please um, do less consulting and please do more doing things. And this um, applause there. Thank you so much. Uh, and this brings me back to our, our friend from Groningen, uh, Max van der Berg, who transformed Groningen at the age of 24. He says that he was accused of being a problematic administrator, even as at my own party, there were people who strongly disagreed. To me, they were lagging behind. It was really just a clash between generations. Um, and remember, if we go back to level four last year, um, we experienced traffic-free, quiet streets across pretty much all of Auckland. I mean, this is, this is Ponsonby Road. You could actually hear conversation in Ponsonby Road. Um, people wanted to go out and about with their families, with their kids, with their Alsatians. Um, I mean, we, we had a whole system of streets accessible to all generations. I mean, on, on, whose, side of history, on, on whose side of history do we wish to be? Even just outside this building, we've seen a rapid transformation as well. Uh, Key Street transformed to give us a whole new city centre waterfront and an enabling city centre life. I mean, it was pretty awful while the construction was taking place. Everyone got stuck in traffic at some point. But now, it's not pretty awful. It's pretty lovely. It's actually gorgeous. Um, I'm going to leave it here, really. I've spoken quite enough, and many other people have more to say. But to finish, really just please remember that Auckland has a visionary city centre master plan. It's politically endorsed. It's freely available. It's full of wonderful pictures, animations, and 3D images. And I urge you, whatever your age, to really get to know the master plan, understand it, and use it to, do what, to, to make it possible to deliver a greener, more prosperous, and more livable city that works for all Aucklanders. Thank you. City is very lucky to have you and really want to join you in that, um, that quote from the feedback that seeks to bring and uplift the human perspective in the streets of Auckland. Rings in your ears. I've, I've always wondered about the need for us to have sentences like streets for people. Who, who else are they for? Who's, who's driving those cars? Anyway, good. Um, it's now my very great pleasure to invite the rest of our panel to the stage. So you've met the very wonderful George. So next up, we have the fantastic Emma McInnes. So, Emma is the chair, and Kof, I'll speak in a, in a timing them up to the stage kind of way. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I need a soundtrack. Women, uh, sorry, Co-founder of Women in Urbanism, Aotearoa, and is currently an urban designer at Resilio Studio. In her early 20s, Emma volunteered with the climate change solutions focus group Generation Zero. She is passionate about bicycles and has for a long time campaigned to bring more protected cycle lanes to Aotearoa. Welcome, Emma. Welcome, Gary, with the microphones. Our next fantastic panellist is Chamanthi Sinhalagay Fonseca. 
Chamanthi is an inner city resident. Respect. Urban living has dominated most of Chamanthi's life. Along with inner city Auckland where she now lives, the vastly different city centres of Beijing, Wellington and Hamilton, go Hamilton, have shaped her perspectives on inner city living and urbanism. Over the past decade, Chamanthi has been an advisor to the leadership of several major cities and later co-headed an urban communications consultancy where she advised on transformative city projects. Welcome, Chamanthi. And last but definitely not least, Corinne Leone. Corinne of Ngāti Pāua, Ngāti Tākoto, Ngāti Kuri descent is the former Deputy Chair of Waitamata Local Board and now serves as a board member. Corinne is passionate about housing, education and arts, addressing families and urbanism as well as homelessness were other concerns that drove her to get involved in local government. The Waitamata Board recently introduced a Māori Outcomes Policy, which Leone leads, Ms. Ms. Leone, sorry, leads, along with the Board's Archer Arts, Culture and Events portfolio. I'll get my tongue back now. Corinne has extensive international experience running her own limited company in the social services management sector in the UK for 10 years, initially based in London. In 2015, she completed her second Masters in Economics and International Politics at King's College London. She returned to New Zealand in late 2015 and has a home in Auckland City Centre with her twins. Welcome, Corinne. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start with a fairly simple question for each of our panellists to answer in turn, which is, why do you choose to live in Auckland? So, George, can we start with you? This is our warm-up question. Thank you. I live more or less where Newmarket turns into Remuera, so fairly central inner city. Why do I live there? Convenience, really. It's convenient for almost anything that you want to do. Newmarket is permanently well-connected to the rest of the city. There's plenty to do there in its own right. I moved there temporarily for six months in 2018, and I'm still there three years later, so it can't be all bad. Very good place <laughs> to be for itself and for the rest of the city. Awesome. Uh, kia ora. Uh, yeah, actually, that's actually a slightly bigger question for me. Um, originally, I'm off a beef farm in Whang, uh, Whangarei, um, out at sort of Whananaki, if you're familiar with that. Um, so I had a probably very different background to um, a lot of current city dwellers, but... Um, for me, it was the power of proximity, the power of having people around me, having having networks that I didn't really have growing up, um, kind of isolated on a farm. And I moved here about ten years ago, and yeah, it just really it really changed me and and changed my life having that that access that I'd never had before, and having access to support and people that I'd never really had before. So, you know, that power and potential of cities is really an important. Um, drivers to why I love cities and live here in, in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. And also just Auckland's fantastic as well. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a big question for me as well. Um, I've actually lived in Auckland twice. Um, the first time was when I moved here at the age of 10 in 1998. Um, I'm outing my age now as yeah. well, and I'm feeling a little bit like an <laughs> imposter for calling myself a young person, not too far off you, um, George. Um, First time wasn't by choice. Um, it was, I'd grown up in Beijing. Um, I'll talk about that a bit later, but certainly at a very formative age, kind of seeing the development of a, a major international city as it kind of went from a very closed economy to kind of this mega city that it is now that really sort of shaped who I was as a child. Um, and then moving to Auckland in 1998, going from Beijing to Glenfield was quite a culture <laughs> shock. Um, um, and so um, I did my schooling in, in Auckland. Um, 
And then after the first year of uni, I decided I wanted to leave, um, partly for all the kind of usual reasons you want to kind of leave your hometown, um, go elsewhere, but also because I never really vibed with Auckland. I grew up in a central Auckland suburb. It was all about the, the boat, the batch, and the beamer. It was a far cry from the very kind of urban environment and just the excitement and energy of somewhere like Beijing. I spent the next 13 or 14 years resisting coming back to Auckland, mostly because um, of the commute, because that's the one big thing that people talk about. Like, I mean, Auckland, you could tell it was going places, but did you really want to also have to think about traffic all the time, right? And so what ended up bringing me back to Auckland was actually a combination of a job I was offered and just the right time for, for my wider family. And what I've found in the, kind of my second time living in Auckland um, is that it's wonderful. So uh, you'll no doubt hear a bit more about that later in the night. Yeah. Uh, kia ora, everyone. Um, my story is probably very different um, to a lot of the panellists here. So I brought my um, apartment on Queen Street when I was in my early 20s. <laughs> So I was really attracted to obviously being in the city centre um, and coming from the suburbs. And obviously I was, I was going to university, I was doing my first master's at AUT at the time and um, it just made sense to actually be based in the city and knowing to get out to the suburbs and um, to be centrally based would be, would be great. Um, I then went on to get another apartment in Hobson Street and I never actually imagined that I'd end up raising my twins in this apartment 15 years later. But um, after coming back from London and doing a 10-year stint there, it just actually was really, you know, it felt right to actually be based in the city, to be central to everything. Um, actually, in terms of traffic, it is great because you're always going the opposite direction of everyone else. <laughs> And, yeah, I, I think that the way that it's changed in the 10 years that I went and came back, I just thought this is the place that I want to be. So, kia ora. Can we keep the mic with you, Kieran, and could you maybe speak a little bit about what your hopes are for families in the city centre? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm really clear on the fact that with my four-year-old twins, I want to know that the future of the city centre is going to be tailored to meet the needs of families. So um, have all of the amenities that we need to have available, have our um, supermarkets, have our shopping centres. You know, we've got K Road, we've got all of the things that we actually need. It's just ensuring that we do get up to speed with the best transport, which we're on our way towards doing. Um, and I know that at the moment the hot topic is Queen Street, um, which, you know, is, is obviously going to be ongoing as well. So the future for me is to, to ensure that we have all of the services available for them. At the moment I am, I do struggle because we have limited kōhanga in the city centre, so I have to travel every day all the way to Glendowie to take my twins to kōhanga, so we only have one. That's the only downfall, but um, obviously when we improve transport links and things like that, I think that will become a lot better in the future. But yeah, we should, we should be able to design these cities so that everything can be met in, here in the city centre, and obviously the time that I spent in London, we know that these things can happen, so I'm really excited for the future. Thank you, thank you. If it's all right to pick up on the slight teaser that you gave us, Chamanthi, um, about Beijing, et cetera, et cetera, there's a, there's, a, there's a great question here about the stark differences that you noticed from the Auckland that you left when you were 19 between your experiences over there and what you see now in this city. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you talk about your children because um, I was one of those urban children. Um, 
when we first moved to China, I was a year old. Um, we didn't have a car or anything, mm. so what my parents had were two bikes, and they strapped me onto the back of whichever of them was sort of wanting to have me on their back, and that's how we traveled around, right? And this was sort of the very early 90s. Um, and then in terms of kind of, you know, that, like, in Beijing, it was safe for children at the time, especially if you were like a foreign child, um, which, you know, there's there's a darkness to that that I won't get into. But um, what was really lovely was that some of my um, earliest memories was being able to, at about, you know, age six, wander parts of the city with my friend um, in a way that you just wouldn't get in even suburbia in New Zealand. Um, another one of my memories is, um, so my parents were in their 30s, they would go out sort of to nightclubs and karaoke and we would just kind of tag along. So it was a very kind of urban childhood. Um, so. Um, moving to Auckland, I think it was, you know, the suburbia was deafening in many ways. Yeah. Um, it was sort of, I mean, Glenfield was, I mean, it was greener than Beijing. Um, but, and, you know, the shore is beautiful, but certainly it felt at the time like there was a real lack of energy, there was a real lack of diversity, like Beijing was a big metropolitan city. Um, we lived on the 22nd floor of, um, of our apartment building and my parents actually were involved in sort of some of the big construction projects that were happening there. So Beijing's changing skyline was very much kind of connected to my childhood. And so you go from kind of pointing out these buildings that, you know, you feel this kind of connection to, um, to moving to somewhere where it's, it's just very hard to get a sense of your connection to what you're seeing. And then you move to kind of Auckland now, and I live on the 30th floor of an apartment building, so there's that. But um, there's a real energy around the central city, um, and I think that for me, when I look out the window at night, when I see the lights around Auckland, um, something that I think other cities in New Zealand can't really compare to, and I think, you know, moving here from Wellington more recently, I think Wellington's a beautiful city, but it really doesn't have that same kind of energy that Auckland has now, and certainly not what Beijing had back then. And so I think that's probably one of the kind of the, the biggest things. And the other one is that Auckland feels a lot more like a 24-hour city now. That doesn't mean that, you know, you want to go out, say, to bars or out clubbing or whatever at night. It feels more like you can go out for a walk, you can go out for a late-night coffee, um, you can meet other inner-city residents late at night for a drink, and it's just a very easy sort of a life. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of the life here at the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing as a, as a born and bred Aucklander to hear the city spoken about in such a beautiful way. Thank you. That's, that's, that's brilliant. Um, Emma, if it's okay to, to come to you, with a, I'm going I'm to read, read this question because it's beautifully worded, but it's very grown up. Um, the City Centre Master Plan sets a vision of an inclusive city centre that is relevant, engaging and accessible to all who call Tamaki Makoto home. You've been vocal, rightly so, about the need for women to be more involved in designing cities. Can you talk to us about why this is important in, cre in creating an inclusive place? Yeah, well, um, cities are incredibly gendered. Um, basically, since the beginning of time, they're being designed by and for men. Um, and I think that the city centre master plan, as, it, um, as, as what George presented before, um, really does set a different tone. Um, it is more focused on being more inclusive um, and really a city for all. Um, but 
as I said, you know, cities are incredibly gendered places, like the lack of um, public bathrooms for, for women who, like, tend to need to go toilet more in our um, city spaces. Like, that's one of those really big problems, I would say, is with our city centre. Women also typically walk more um, than men. And, you know, our footpaths are still in, like, utterly terrible conditions. Um, men tend to drive more than women, whereas um, our road networks are pretty damn good and we get parking pretty much everywhere we want. So, um, you know, we're really not designing for the needs of women based on what we understand about them and how they move around our cities. Um, they also prefer, you know, overwhelmingly women prefer to take more environmental modes. They prefer taking public transport, walking, cycling, scootering. Um, but, you know, that choice isn't really there for them. Um, our transport networks are really around, designed around the nine to five commuter, um, and they're not really taking into the needs of someone like Kieran, who has to take her children to Kohangareo in, um, in the morning. Um, you know, the city centre is still really absent of schools, and so that makes it really difficult for parents. Um, one, of the, one of the really stark and like obvious problems is um, sort of the Nelson Street apartment blocks where it's really, really difficult for the amount of parents that are in those apartment blocks to take their children to school in St Mary's in the morning. There's, like, almost nowhere for them to walk and crossing that traffic sewer of Nelson Street is... Um, it's just depressing. So, um, you know, our city's not there yet. I know there's this vision um, for our cities to be better, but, um, you know, we really need to make sure that we're thinking about our caregivers um, who are still overwhelmingly women doing that care work, um, and we need to be thinking about our children, people of all ages and abilities, um, how our elderly people access our cities as well. Um, I do believe the City Centre Master Plan is on track for that. Um, but, yeah, as the City Centre currently is, it doesn't do that well enough. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Emma. Um, George, we'll bring it to you, and, and thank you, Emma, it was like we planned that. Here's a beautiful segue. Um, just if you could speak to us, George, about how younger people were engaged through the development of the City Centre Master Plan, either the original or the refresh. What were some of the mechanisms you used? You already talked to us about those responses. How did you get to them? Okay, well, I can't talk about the original City Centre Master Plan. I was too young to have written it Wasn't myself. Wasn't born yet. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> and as, as far as the Auckland City Centre Master Plan refresh was concerned, I think a point I was really, really making was that um, um, anybody can sit down and write themselves a plan. A plan's only useful if it actually reflects the engagement of the people who are actually going to use it mm. and who are going to support it, who are going to be affected by it. And we did a huge amount of targeted engagement with as many people as possible. Uh, as far as young people are concerned, we worked with the Auckland Council, Council Youth Advisory Panel, who was superb. They were really good at giving us steers about um, we should think a bit more about this, think a bit more about that. We also worked, also picking up on the inclusivity point, we worked with the Disability Advisory Forum. One of the real threads in the master plan is accessibility and inclusivity via universal design approach. Look it up, it's there. Um, also, when promoting the, the wider public consultation, we used social media. I mean, that's uh, how you connect with the youth, but seriously, that did actually work. Um, and also, we engaged with, with the University of Auckland. I actually gave a seminar to the planning students at the University of Auckland to really help them get under the skin of it, submit, tell your friends, and so on. So, I mean, we really did reach out as much as we could to not only the nominated representatives, but actually to a, as wide an audience of younger people as possible. And I mean, I think in terms of, we had about 540 responses of which I believe um, about 48 were from people 24 or under. I mean, and, there, and then there was a much, much bigger bulge of people 25 to 34, huge numbers as well. Um, so I mean, there's a huge amount of interest in the future of the city from the people who 
have plenty of their lives to grow up and see the city grow up and really want to see a city that actually, that actually works, works for them. Mm, awesome. Is it all right to open this conversation up to the rest of the panel as well? Is how do we better elevate the voice of younger people when discussing the city's future? And how can they be better supported to share their views on what matters most to them? Two, two clear thoughts as well as social media, as, as you've said, George. But also, we've got a lot of university students living right there. And that, how, how should we be getting to them in a way that means something to them? Uh, well, well, I've got the mic before I pass it down the line. I think, um, I think it's very important that people in decision-making positions, positions of authority, remember that you have one mouth and you have two ears, and you're meant to use them in that proportion. It's, I mean, it's very easy to be like old Aristotle and sit there from your position of being a bit of a sage, dismissing anyone who's younger and less worthy than you. But that's nonsense. You can always keep on learning. And it's, it's terrifically arrogant to assume that superiority means omniscience. I mean, if anybody ever turns to you and says, I've finished my education, you're going to be on the receiving end of a boorish monologue right <laughs> after that. You never stop learning. No one ever stops learning. And always be willing to actually learn from, engage with people. If something, somebody says something to you, don't just bat it back like you're playing ping pong. Actually listen to what they say. Take it in. Really engage meaningfully. People will respect you for it, and you'll have a much healthier dialogue than just trying to play tete-a-tete -tete with somebody whose opinion isn't the same as yours. Yeah, um, so I think I've got a really simple solution. Um, when young people ask for something, when they want you know, more urgency on climate change, when they want better walking and cycling infrastructure, we should listen to them and take um, note of what they're saying in the same way that we give value to the owners of Gucci or whatever ridiculous brand on Queen Street. You know, they kind of are able to get their way when they complain about something or want something. There's an emergency meeting the next day. We've got to change this right now. Why aren't we listening to young people and children in the same way? Um, so, yeah, there you go. Just <laughs> our, um, those in decision-making uh, positions can do that, so they should be. I think um, also there's a case to be made for thinking about the way that young people will use uh, the city in the future. Mm. So one of the things that I did while I, in my kind of 13 years away from Auckland was um, I, I advised the leadership of a couple of major New Zealand cities as well as ran a, an urban communications consultancy. So these were issues that I was quite involved in. One of the really interesting kind of insights that we got from a, 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 an exercise that we did with young people in Wellington was that um, COVID has really changed what it is that young people want out of cities. So they want all of those things that both Emma and George mentioned, but also when you think about career prospects and things like that, in the past it used to be that people moved to cities for the jobs that they wanted to do. So cities, there was a, a, there was a bit of a, a role between kind of cities and the way that they attract talent, especially young talent, and how they try to keep talent there, right? Whereas now with kind of the rise of work from home and things like that, um, the feedback that we got uh, from younger people in Wellington, and I suspect it might not be too different in Auckland, is actually now that they're allowed to work from wherever they want to, suddenly there's no real need for them to stay in cities, especially um, with things like rising rents. 
Now, the thing about Auckland uh, Central that not a lot of people talk about is that as a result of COVID, you've actually um, experienced a decrease in rentals, um, or rental prices rather. And it's really prime time for Auckland to think about how they leverage that to attract younger people to stay here. And so we think that this is less about sort of how we engage with younger people, but also how we think about what it is that those younger people will kind of need in the next kind of five years or where they where they might take their lives and how cities can kind of remain competitive and remain kind of vibrant by attracting those younger people to remain here. And I think that's absolutely on top of everything that George and Emma have mentioned. Yeah, so I just want to add to that as well because I think, um, so one part of it is going out to the young people because we know that um, like the high schools, for example, you've got a whole cohort of young people that are then going to become city centre dwellers as young adults. Um, and the other thing that we have talked about in, in the local board is how do we change the way that young people would see the city centre as being a place that they would actually live long term. Mm. And, and I think, you know, like... 10 or 15 years ago, you'd see it as a place that young people would come and just, you know, work or go out nightclubbing. But now the fact that it is, you know, where, where families want to come and invest and stay here for a lifetime. So I think there's other schemes that, um, for example, over in London, you've got the key worker, key housing scheme, worker housing scheme, where, you know, if, if local government did steer towards that in the future, where if there's possibility for them to transition into home ownership and things like that, and we actually start to build those pathways, um, we'd get a very different response from young people. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Corinne, if it's okay to ask a question specifically of you, then we're going to go to the Slido on the floor. So start cooking up those questions. I'll say them again. Questions, not statements, ladies and gentlemen. Questions. We love questions here. Um, Corinne, it's a, it's, a, it's a big question. What role do you think Māori should play in the future developments in the making of the city? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, for, for Māori and as being um, mana whenua myself, being Ngāti Power, I think we really need to be at the front of all the design and the future developments. And, you know, we have an opportunity to really show true partnership mm -hmm. here in the city centre with the population of 37,000 people, but also breaking down a lot of those cultural barriers that um, have been experienced in the past. So, um, you know, some really simple things that we're looking at as well is doing things like kapahaka, which would be open to all residents and not just Māori, and really trying to share the culture and make all New Zealanders proud of our culture and be able to really feel that. So it was great to see um, up on your slideshow that we're going to have a centre there um, in the future, but we need to just normalise the culture and we need to really just live out that true Te Tiriti or Waitangi um, partnership. It's a real opportunity for us to move in that direction and the country's already moving in in that direction in so many ways. We've got Māori wards that are coming in, um, and so all of those governance roles and the key decision-making roles need to have Māori at the table. Thank you, Karen. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm now going to work really hard to not break the iPad, okay? All be with me on not breaking the iPad. So, people with your hands up, thank you. Um, hello to Steve and Gina, who have the microphones out there, I believe. So, my lovely friends out there are going to be are going to be running questions to you, lovely real people in real life. I am going to start with a slido, if that's okay. 
and it picks up on something that was just being discussed. But from, from anonymous, whose age we don't know, COVID has meant many more people working from home. How does this affect the plan for the city centre and does this mean we need more of a focus on suburban centres? So, Jamantha, you were just talking on this, but can we pick that up with the rest of the panel maybe as well and any additional thoughts from you, lady? I just, I need you to repeat it. Oh, sorry. I'll go slower. It was a long one. COVID has meant many more people working from home. How does this affect the plan for the city centre, and does this mean we need more focus on suburban centres? Thank you to Anonymous for that question. Totally know you're there, lady. All good. <laughs> you, you, you will be next. I'm going to go online. I'm going to go online, and then I'm going to go real person, and then online, and then real person, if that's cool. Not that the online people aren't real people. Ladies and gentlemen, they are real people out there. <laughs> Well, look, there's a, we've got a lot of anonymous. So those of, all of you people well, out there on Slido, we'd love to know who you are, including the eight people that have voted for that question. If I may answer Anonymous's question. Thank you, Anonymous, thank you, wherever you may be. Very good question. <laughs> but at the same time, I think you need to put 10 bucks in the swear jar because you're still thinking of the CBD. True, true. That's 10 bucks, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, that's much, there's much more to the city centre than simply going to work. I mean, it is, it is a place where many people do work, but, I mean, you've got two universities here. You've got the museums, you've got the art gallery, you've got the theatres, you've got cinemas, you've got bars, you've got... P people come together for all kinds of reasons. The basic function of a city is to bring people together. People want to be together. We saw how, after a month of level four working from home, as soon as people could get out, it was like letting the cows out of the barn after a winter. They go bounding into the buttercups. It was the same with people coming into the city. People want to be together and that function will always exist. The city centre is the best connected square mile in the entirety of New Zealand and it will always have that function even if you can work from home a bit. I mean, are suburban centres important? Absolutely, yes. We need to invest in our suburban centres as well, without question. I mean, so, they have so much potential, but it, it, but it's not a zero-sum game. It is the city centre and it is the neighbourhood centres and the metropolitan centres. It's all of them. So it's not just a CBD. Awesome. Thank you. Does anyone else want to have a go with that one? I'll just add a, like a slightly to the side of that um, comment. Um, women actually overwhelmingly prefer places where there's like mixed use um, like development. So, you know, you've got your, your cafes mixed in with your residential. Um, we prefer when there's lots of people around um, where there's passive surveillance happening. And our cities are a really wonderful place for that to happen, for women to feel safe and comfortable in our streets. And so, yeah, I think, you know, um, we still want to make sure that our, our city is thriving so that women have a place where they feel really safe um, going for their evening run um, or, you know, going out late night dining, whatever that is. But, you know, equally our suburbs should be safe places like that too. So we need to densify them as well. Mm. just add to that actually because that's a really interesting question that kind of suburbia versus city center um perpetual kind of tension i think if we are not um if we are not uh, particular about it and if we're not intentional about it you might well see that a city center could um could decline um while suburbia grows and certainly we saw that in the wellington region um where um spending went up in uh, every part of the region except for the central city um, over sort of the last year. And I think the thing to remember there is that not only is it the best square mile in the country, um, a CBD, oh sorry, a central city is central city. Well, 20 bucks, um, ladies and gentlemen, 20 bucks. Is also, is also um, the economic engine of, of a city. 
And so if you don't do what needs to be done, especially through a period like the one that we're going through, um, you, there is a kind of a wider risk to the health of the rest of the, the city. So it's really important that we're intentional about our central cities um, and not kind of take this sort of very polar city or suburbia type of view. Yeah, it's end. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. So, can we go to the floor, please, ladies and gentlemen? Steve, if you've got the. Thank you. Thank you. I've got um, Sarah Trotman. I've got two quick questions. Well, one quick question and one for each of the panelists. The first quick question is George, I think you've been in New Auckland for four years. If the plan doesn't work, will you stay? Will you be here to be accountable? So, Quick question, yes. and my key question to each and every one of you is I've lived in Auckland City for longer than all of you put together. I'm active in the area of entrepreneurship. There have been 6,000 new businesses started in Aotearoa, New Zealand since COVID. Most of them young people. What do each of you think the city should be offering to the future Gucci's who, with respect, I think actually should get more airtime than a 10-year-old because they are the ratepayers, they are the business owners, they are generating wealth for our country. If each of you could answer that, please. Thank you, Sarah. Perfect. Thank you. I just hope we captured that moment where you said Gucci was pretty much more important than a 10-year-old. That's a really um, fascinating comment from a local board member. The, the, the first question, absolutely, yes, Auckland's my home, I love it here, I want to, I mean, the thing about being an urban planner is it's not like being a software developer, it takes years for plans to happen, you've got to sit here and actually make it work and nurture it and continue to deliver it, so yes, uh, in terms of what you want to offer young entrepreneurs, I mean, the 10-year-old uh, person writing a letter to the Herald, Prokocha 10-year-old um, of today is the business owner and entrepreneur and, and ratepayer of the future, and if they don't like the city, they won't pay rates here, they'll leave. They'll go somewhere else, Wellington or Dubai or wherever. So really it's about providing a city that brings people together and really has space for business, space that is convenient, that is inviting. I suppose you, you sort of want to, what you want in cities is fuzziness. City building is not sim city. You do not precisely plan it all out like Lego. What you do is you provide the entrepreneurial space which allows people to flourish so, that in, in, so that's basically about making life easier to have good ideas and to develop them. I, I do not speak as an entrepreneurial um, expert as you, Sarah, but I, in terms of looking at cities that have nurtured good ideas, mm. it's been where there's been free space and where people want to be. Those, those are the two main factors. Awesome, George. Thank you. Um, yeah, and also... I hope those 10-year-olds survive because of all the black carbon, thanks to all the bloody cars that we have um, in our city centre that shouldn't be there uh, to make it through to own those businesses in the future. Um, and I think the city centre master plan is one of those things that's going to help our kids actually um, like live and work in a healthy environment in the future. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I would also, before I answer, I'd just, yeah, really... Um, you know, it's really difficult being on a panel and I've actually um, uh, got hearing loss in my right ear and so when I hear people kind of muttering um, things that they disagree with in the, in the crowd, it's actually really distracting and not really respectful. So, 
Um, but um, yeah, I think you need to know that. That's it's not really fair. Um, but yeah, I, I guess um, the children are our future business owners, and they're the ones that we can rely on to innovate and uh, participate in our cities and help them to be the thriving um, places that give people, um, you know, dignity of life and quality of life. Um, so I, I just can't, can't get my head um, like past the fact that um, like Gucci is um, those business owners are now recognised by local board members as being uh, more important than children. Um, so yeah, I mean. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I'm sorry. I just think this is really bad I'm going to interject as MC if it's okay. One of the original first things that that we asked of the family that was that it's a friendly conversation this evening, and what we're trying to talk about is how we get young people involved in this conversation. And if I was a young person listening online right now, I'd be going, well, I don't really want to hang out with grown-ups arguing. So please, can I ask that from here on, and we try and keep a friendly tone, and remember, we're trying to introduce people to this conversation. It's all good. I'm going to hand it, I promise, I promise. But that, that's kind of my request, if it's okay from the floor. I'm going to stick with some Slido questions for a while, and I think what we want to try and work on here is some optimism of what would make people join this conversation, if that's okay. So back to our panel to answer Sarah's question. Cool. Um, I'm going to answer it in two parts. Uh, first, I'm going to tackle the issue of the 10-year-olds. So um, I am not a 10-year-old, nor do I have one, but I'm certainly old enough to have a 10-year-old. And so... I suspect that a city that works for a 10-year-old would be a great benefit for me as a 30-something because I'd know that my child is safe and happy much like I was in, in Beijing. So I think that's sort of the short answer to, you know, why do we want cities that are, you know, livable for children? But coming to that second, uh, second point around entrepreneurship, I think that's actually a really interesting point. Um, if you look at the pre-COVID times, Cities competed with each other for talent, and I think somewhere like San Francisco is a really good example that everyone kind of knows about in the sense that it was, you know, highly entrepreneurial, um, highly creative, and really pulled people in in terms of, like, if you wanted to be involved in, say, um, activity in Silicon Valley, uh, you moved there, right? And so that tells you that there's a real kind of uh, connection between getting people to live in your city and the entrepreneurial spirit. And so I think that for Auckland, one of the things that Auckland can consider is um, when you have discussions around things like um, empty commercial, uh, commercial, say, shop fronts or empty commercial buildings, thinking about sort of converting those to residential because, again, the more you can increase supply of housing, um, the more you can uh, decrease uh, price of housing, um, the more likely it is that you are to attract those kind of future entrepreneurs. But at the same time, a city uh, becomes more creative and more entrepreneurial the more, uh, the more dense it is. And so if you're getting people actually living uh, in that kind of... Uh, the, in the country's best square mile, um, but also spending in the country's best square mile. And I say this for anyone who follows me online will know just how much I spend um, <laughs> in the city. Um, and you know, you need you need more more young young millennials doing that because you're very much the you know the entrepreneurs as well as the the audience um, of the city. So, awesome. thank you. Yeah. 
Um, so kia ora everyone. So I strongly believe in parallel planning in this instance that we have to plan for obviously our children and we have to plan for the businesses. So um, I have run my own business before and I know the importance of having um, the supports in place for that. But I guess my vision around um, supporting our businesses and especially the fact that we have got targeted rates that support businesses in the city centre and across central Auckland. So there is an actual fund that is supporting them to some degree. But how can we actually get um, our young people to move into that space or to be supported by some of these entrepreneurs that are opening their doors? That are, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of possibilities here in the city centre, I believe, about providing work experience and things like that, um, which you know, from, from a wider perspective of families, because all of those families that are living here, which has been mentioned, they're all spending money. Um, you've got, in certain parts of central Auckland, around 50% of the businesses are actually people that are working from home. So that is also an, another, um, you know, point that we have to take into account in terms of the future of supporting our businesses and entrepreneurs that are coming up. So we need to look at all of the different aspects, but the key thing is I do believe in that parallel planning for all of of those really important things that are coming through. Awesome. Kia ora. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, awesome. I'm just going to flag because this was this was our second. I'm just going to go online for a heartbeat if we can get a mic to this nice lady for the question after this question. I'm going to overtly pick Keegan's question because he's put his name on it. So thank you, Keegan, for your question. And it's a groovy one. I'm not sure if the panel or myself can answer it. What are we doing to ensure that we are preserving, preserving sorry, music venues in Tamaki, which... We, we are in Auckland. I don't know if you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're in Auckland City. Sorry, Auckland is a city of music. We have official UNESCO status. Music is a pretty clear way of making sure that we've got a range of voices in the city and a range of creativity. George, do you have any thoughts on that question? Other than that, the wine cellar is superb. Um, <laughs> yes. I, 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 I cannot give a council answer on that, mm. but let's have another event uh, here next yep. month nice and discuss group. it in more detail. We'll put it on the list for Ashley, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you, Keegan, for that question. Have you got the microphone? Brilliant. Thank you, Steve. You have now. <laughs> is it working? Yes. yes, it is. Right. I'm representing the older person. And very few of my friends will come into the city these days. It is far too difficult to get the buses. Mm. And when they come in, they feel overwhelmed. Now, these are the people who have built the city. What are you doing for them? I, I, and these sorry. are people who have come in, and I used to come in about four times a week, I suppose. Mm. Now it is difficult mm. to get in. Um, one feels really a bit overwhelmed by mm. everything that's going on. I'm not one of those people. And I speak to a lot of young people, and they don't like coming into the city either. Mm. That, and I heard the uh, transport people talking about the buses the other day mm. at a meeting, and they were having these buses coming in, but none of them considered the people who were getting on the buses. Are you okay if I try and frame up a question from what you're saying, which would be yes, to the panel? Certainly. What, what's your opinion on how we approach equitable access to the city? I think, Emma, you've touched on this a little bit, but how do we, how do we ensure the city is one that everybody can get to in a healthy and safe way? 
Yeah, and we, um, Thank you. Also, just because I am representing women, women in urbanism, so it's really important to talk about that gendered aspect. You know, um, most of our elderly population or those who have disability um, overwhelmingly represented by women, and so um, women's access to the city, um, you know, is an, is an incredibly important issue to us. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think with buses um, being designed, you know, for all ages and abilities, um, being able to have, you know, sort of step-free platforms, um, having a bit more of that with our public transport access. Um, yeah, just designing more barrier-free and using universal design as the guide there um, is, is what we should be looking to do um, to make our city more accessible for all ages and abilities. Um, but yeah, I think I think beyond that, like the the idea that the city is an overwhelming place, it would be really great to see more sort of um, emphasis on quiet places um, in our cities because they don't all have to just be like a constant buzz, um, which is why a lot of people do come to cities. But you know, our libraries um, and some of our other shared spaces um, could just be that for you. Um, so yeah, I think um, we just need to hear more voices like yours. Um, in, in feedback and integrate that into thinking about some of our other spaces and how we could be designing them so that they're not just, um, yeah, that, that overwhelming experience that you spoke of. Picking up on, on, on Emma's uh, point there, a couple of points came about uh, noise and about peace and about overwhelmingness. And if, 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 if everyone in this room can picture back to that photograph I had of Ponsonby Road during level four lockdown, mm or Lawns Street after it was transformed into a shared space. As soon as you remove the requirement for city streets to perform a general traffic movement function, you peel that layer back, they can do almost anything you like. Mm -hmm. The basic concept of access for everyone is that if you're coming to the city centre by car, that's absolutely fine. Uh, park on the edge of the Queen Street Valley, that's totally cool. We'll, we'll show you how to get there. There'll be will tell you which space is available. Then within the city centre, if you're not having to accommodate general traffic movement, you can have much, much more high quality footways, much more space to walk, much more continuous footways, easier to cross. You're not, you haven't got to satisfy the traffic model when you're designing a junction, you design it to work for all people. You really can think much more about how the city centre would sound if you haven't got people trying to snake their way through it because that's what you did 40 years ago when you could park outside Smith & Coie. The world has moved on since then and what we can really do is take advantage of, of our level four experience, the soundscape of a calm street that brings people out and really think about how the city centre streets could do the same. And as soon as you manage city centre movement more intelligently, you can provide better access and a better environment when you're there. And that's really what the master plan is all about. Yeah, um, as someone with um, yeah, that's nailed that. Um, as someone with a hearing impairment, um, when the noise from the traffic went away during the lockdowns, um, suddenly I could hear, um, and it made me feel uh, much safer, like moving by bike, say, in our cities. And so um, I think, yeah, move that traffic, and then you maybe you move remove feeling overwhelmed so constantly. Um, I have a bit of a different perspective. I think to put it quite succinctly, you know. Why come into the city when you could just live here? And you know, um, and one of the one of the my observations uh, as a new 
ish and a city resident is that actually it's made up of older people mm. and it has been for a very long time and the people in my building have lived there for 15 years or so. So I just think that again, I mean, I might sound a little bit like a broken record um, talking about sort of the need for housing, but I don't think that transport is the only part, um, the only solution. I think it's a very important part of the solution, but the other one really is about kind of living here. And if you could just indulge me for just a minute, um, in terms of that kind of commute uh, side of things, I did some math earlier today um, because I walk to and from work and I recognize that that's not really possible for sort of everyone who lives in the city. But um, I did some math around what my, how long it takes for me in terms of a return trip every day and it's uh, 30 minutes, so 15 minutes to work, walking and 15 minutes back. And then I thought about, well, if I lived at my parents' place right now, central Auckland um, suburb, uh, what would door-to-door -door from home to work look like? And it was 180 minutes return. Then I went, okay, well, what does that look like in a year? And that's right now as it is for me, it would be 6,000 minutes worth of walking, worth of walking um, a year. If I lived with my parents, it would be 36,000 minutes of travel. So that's not walking, that's mm. travel in a year. What that translates to is if I lived in the suburbs, that would be 25 days of travel um, into the city for work versus for me right now, it's just four days worth of travel. So I add three <laughs> weeks to my life by living in the city. Um, and so I just think, again, it comes back to, you know, why come in when you can just live here? Awesome. Yeah, my, my comments are, are similar. So um, we also have a lot of seniors that are living in our um, apartment building. So we have a swimming pool, um, we have a gym. So they've, you know, the feedback that I've got is that they've actually cut down costs on having to pay for a gym, on having to go to swimming pools because it's all in there. We've got a community space um, that all of the residents can sit if they want to have a meal in the evening, for example, in the summer. Um, and then they've got their gold card, so they can go to Waiheke Island for free. So I mean, you know, I, th I think that there are pros and cons, but that's definitely um, the feedback that I've had from um, from seniors that have come from living in rural areas as well, from the far north and coming into to central Auckland and have really enjoyed just the fact that they can get to the shops and everything else without having to use a car. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, super conscious of time. So from here on in, we're going to go hard and fast if we can. Really conscious. You've been waiting for a while, ladies. So go, I'll go online while. Can we get a mic down? Thank you, Gina, to this wonderful woman in the front row. Um, a quick answer from the panel, if it's okay. People who give feedback to council will often at least passionately love or passionately hate the plan. How do you get to the 99% of Aucklanders who are somewhere in between to engage? Indeed, um, many of you here, I say many, hopefully, many of you here will have heard of something called amoeba theory. Think of an amoeba, single-celled organism, 98% of its mass is in the nucleus. There's a few little particles one side, a few little particles the other. Some of the particles on the left represent everyone at eight, represent those who hate everything that council does. The other little particles on the right represent everyone who loves everything. The majority of the people in the middle are not spending their spare time filling in surveys. They're spending it actually living their lives and getting on with things. 
So the question is, how do you actually engage with people um, in the missing middle? The really important thing is actually to make sure that your plans are relevant and as engaging as possible. That's something that we very much did with the 2012 City Centre Master Plan. It was not a planner's plan. It was not a 2,000-page document that one person will read. It was a 200-page document with illustrations and beautiful designs that 10,000, 100,000 people would read. If people can read it, if people can understand it, if people can relate to it, you're much more likely to get actually normal people filling, feeding back on it, a much more representative sample than you are if you're just subsuming people in 4,000 pages of acronyms. We do our best to make it as accessible as possible. Yes, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to throw to the question on the floor, if that's OK. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm, I, I'm Gail Bennett. I actually live in the CBD. Uh, and, oh, okay. So it's on Just now. Like, a, like an ice cream. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I live in the CBD. And I've realised what's happening today. You're talking about the young people and how you know, everything should benefit them and everything else. But everyone. It's no, it's just dropped out. So no, we got it. Yeah, we got it. We got you back. We got you back. But live in harmony in the CBD, and that mm. includes all the other residents who actually pay rates and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. So now, I know you want to do a lot of benefits for young people, you know, so that they have a vibrant town and everything else, which is great. Is there a question, girl? Sorry, yes, to rush there in. is. In a few seconds. Now, you are seeming to give a lot of youth, a heck of a lot of leeway, especially when it comes to having noise control, which doesn't control anything any further. I've had to actually consult uh, various um, members of parliament. I'm going to need to hurry you along, Gail, sorry. Yes, and I want to know, are you going to continue to allow clubs, nightclubs, mm. which are good for the young people, rave clubs from 10 o'clock at night through to 4 o'clock in the morning, absolutely annoying anybody and everybody within a four-block radius. Mm. So I want to know, are you going to be fair with the rest of the residents mm. that actually live in the CBD? Can I um, suggest, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that I'm now running a list for the next sessions, the next sessions, the next sessions, but I think that question of equitable everybody and how can you comfortably live in a CBD and not be driven mad by noise is a really interesting topic. I know I live in the viaduct, so I hear you. It, I'd, it, I'd like to hold, if, unless the panel has an answer for Gail. But, but it's not just the noise, mm -hmm. it's all the other riffraff that comes sure. in and there's a lot of graffiti, yeah. building... Gail, if it's, if it's okay, I'm just going to ask the panel if anyone would like to speak to your question. I definitely think it's a candidate for maybe a next time session because we I, I, we were moving away from yeah, this. As long as somebody super answers. conscious also that we've got to let you go so you can get home to your lives so what we're going to do is one more question from Slido once we've wrapped up Gail so I'm so sorry that we haven't got to everybody what a passionate topic that we all care about the city centre right so I hope that we'll see you again next time um, would someone like to speak to Gail, what Gail's raising or is it we'll keep it for a if it's, it's the mix of the city kind of question. I haven't, I haven't got an answer for Ashley yet, but it's sort of in that territory. Just a very quick point. As, as the city densifies, you need to find ways for, for many different land uses to work close together. Sound insulation, thermal, sorry, acoustic mm. coherence is absolutely vital. I don't think it's something we do particularly well in this in this city. And yeah. designing buildings that do not let the sound in and out is a superb yeah. idea, and I support yeah. it. Yeah. Um, 
What I'm going to do now is ask our panel to give us a very quick fire closing answer to a question before we invite Shane Henderson up to wrap us up for the evening. So I want to say um, a massive thank you to the audience, um, especially those of you that have, have been comfortable and paying attention in a, in a beautiful, supportive way. The question from Slido, it's anonymous, forgive me everybody, it is an anonymous. Ladies and gentlemen, on the panel, uh, with youth in mind, because that is the topic of this evening's conversation, ladies and gentlemen, if you could implement one thing from the City Centre Master Plan tomorrow, what would that be? Corinne, can I start with you? Of course I have to say Māori outcomes right across the board. <laughs> Awesome. Kia ora. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I um, yeah, actually, there's so many in there that I wish I could implement tomorrow, but I just have to agree with Kieran. I think that's a priority. Absolutely. And adding to that, I'd say um, the, the other one that really caught my imagination from the plan was the plan around kind of connecting uh, connectedness, especially with that kind of that dead zone around Parnell and just sort of really connecting um, that inner city through, I think we'll see some fantastic results. I agree with everything my panellists have said. I also would put a big uh, shout out for Victoria Street Linear Park because that was the one that people supported more than anything else. The idea of a beautiful... <laughs> Beautiful public space across the city centre, linking Albert Park with Queen Street, the busiest street in Auckland, going to link Aotea Station, the busiest station in New Zealand, Sky Tower, uh, NZICC, major destinations, I'm linking gonna, that I'm down, gonna, gonna down with Victoria up, Park. I'm going to have to Victoria wrap you Street up. Park. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, George. Ladies and gentlemen, a massive round of applause for our panellists. Um, thank you, Homai Tapakitaki. Um... The quote I'd like to take out of it is being intentional, which I think was Chimanthi's. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please can I introduce to the stage the very fantastic councillor Shane Henderson to wrap us up. Shane is the Deputy Chair of the Finance and Performance Committee and Waitakere Ward Councillor. He's also the Liaison Councillor for the Youth Advisory Panel, hence he is here with us tonight to see us home. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, guys. Quite liked being called very fantastic. That was nice. Thank you. Um, I'm councillor for Waitakere. Um, you know, you're going to clap for a little bit here now, so get, warm up your hands, warm them up nice because it's getting cold out there. Look, Auckland Conversations doesn't just happen. It does require resources and time and a lot of hard work and effort. So first and foremost, we need to give it up for our sponsors. Big round of applause for the sponsors. Wonderful, and I want to thank all of our speakers, George Weeks, Emma McInnes, Chimanthi Singhagi, uh, Fonseca and Karen Leone. Congratulations, round of applause. <laughs> My last round of applause, and then I'll wrap us up uh, with a few personal thoughts and a call to action I've been told to give as well, so I'm pretty excited about that. So my last round of applause is I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight. You're all fantastic. Give yourselves a huge round of applause as well. <laughs> So you may think I'm not the natural person to sum up today as a Waitakere uh, councillor, um, but on this you would be, of course, mistaken. Um, as I'm the youngest councillor, I'm also the youth uh, liaison councillor for the Youth Advisory Panel, and I want to give it up for the Youth Advisory Panel because they're absolutely fantastic, they're awesome, they just presented to our long-term plan recently, and they took that with courage and conviction, and they really represented young people's voices in the city, fantastic. I hope they're all watching tonight, so can we give the Youth Advisory Panel a round of applause? <laughs> awesome, 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 awesome. 
you know, I'm here for another reason, and that is that the Auckland City Centre is, is fantastic for its residents, but it not, it's not just for its residents. It's a regional centre for 1.7 million Aucklanders. It is its playground, it is its economic powerhouse, it's its window to the world, it is its nursery of opportunity. From Papakura to Browns Bay, from Piha to Howick, our city centre shapes the experiences for all young people growing up in Auckland. And with such a flow from the suburbs, our city centre has to work so that people can come together and enjoy our city centre. I want to remind you of two quotes we heard tonight. Uh, the first was, I think it really was a clash between generations. That was very nice, I liked that one. That was Max Vandenberg. And on whose side of history do we wish to be? Who was that? That was George Weeks. How good was that? <laughs> I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Um, but it's no use for us to just shift economic activity from city centre to suburbia back to city centre. That's no use. That's not Auckland's future. I think that the city centre and suburban town centres need to work together so that we're growing our economic pie and we're enjoying our entire city. Um, I was reminded, Kieran made a fantastic point as well, around the challenges and the gap of social infrastructure in the city things like schools, things like kōhangareo. So for our youngest Aucklanders to actually enjoy, that's a huge gap. That's something that we need to work on as a city, um, and we have to do better. So that leads me to our calls, calls of action. I've got a couple. So first and foremost, thanks for all coming in. I hope you all took alternative transport. I think that's something we should be looking at doing. The black carbon um, capital of New Zealand is Lower Queen Street. And that's all of Auckland's responsibility. And, and when we debated this on council, I apologised for my community and Waitakere for doing that, because that, that is going to affect all of our futures. Um, so please use alternative transport if you can. And my, my simple ask is to step out of your door in the morning and think, how am I going to go about my day? And if I have to drive, that's fine. No judgment. But if you can take a bus, if you can take a scooter or a, or a bicycle or walk, then I'd encourage you to do so. That's fantastic. Look, I'd encourage you to shop here as well. Our foot traffic in the city centre is down from pre-COVID levels and we've got to get that back up for our economic powerhouse to hum again. So come in here, buy some stuff, enjoy our local shops because they're all fantastic. Um, I'll leave you with this. We have more in common with New York and Auckland than we do with New Plymouth. But here's the thing. Young people also want to raise a family here. They also want to participate in this city. They want, they want to be a huge part of this plan, and I think that's fantastic. Our big challenge is we need to listen to the voices, our diverse voices, our Māori voices, our Pacific voices, our female voices, and our young voices as well. We need to raise those up. So just think about how you can do that in your daily life. That's my final challenge to you. So Peter Gluckman said recently that Auckland needs to be more ambitious, and I couldn't agree more. So finally, I'd say to lift up those young voices and to be ambitious as a city. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the podcast of Auckland Conversations, brought to you by Auckland Council and our sponsors Jib and Resine. For more information, visit our website, conversations.aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. Auckland Conversations is proudly produced by Tandem Studios. 